Thanks, Brent. Hi, I'm Ricky Jones. All right, let's uh, let's pray, and then we're going to read uh, Matthew chapter five, verses thirty-eight through forty-eight, and we'll jump in. Okay, Father in heaven, I pray that you would uh, speak to us tonight. We uh, come before you, uh, agreeing together that we need your Spirit. We need your Spirit to come and uh, speak to us, uh, to encourage us, to teach us your Word. Uh, to enable us to keep your word, uh, to enable us to receive it. And Father, all of us are in a different place on this journey toward perfection that Jesus calls us to. I pray, Lord, that you would meet each of us uh, wherever we are on that uh, journey. And I pray that we um, we would move one step closer to you, that we would decide to walk toward uh, truth and light and hope and glory and joy today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's read Matthew uh, chapter 5, verses 38 through 48. Is that right? Yes. Hear the word of the Lord. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Small standards there. Let's, uh, let's see what, 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 think, what we think he can, he can be talking about. I, um, I read a counselor from time to time named Larry Crabb. He is a writer. Uh, he specializes in Christian therapy, and he has a school where he teaches other Christian therapists, and the thing about uh, schools like that is this. You have all these students who don't really know what they're doing, and so, uh, and they have to get hours, they have to get these therapy hours in before they can say they're licensed therapists, Um, and so the only way you can get that is just to let people come for free. So you get free counseling, and it's usually worth about what you paid for it. And uh, when the counselors just cannot make any headway with somebody, they would occasionally call in the professors. So there's this one woman who had gotten uh, violent at times, and uh, she was coming in, and the students couldn't get anything to, done with her, and so he agreed to meet with her. Now, uh, what you need to know about her was she was terribly abused as, as, a, as a young child, uh, horrific uh, abandonment and physical and mental abuse. Uh, When she was a very young child, she was in a house that had a a floor furnace 
and then and her, her parents would, would take the, instead of getting a babysitter, would take the grate out of the floor, put her down in the hole, and put the grate down so she couldn't get out and would be gone for hours. Um, nobody really knows how long she spent by herself down there because her parents were irresponsible. And so as she grew older, she had some, some bipolar issues, and she was uh, just terribly scarred. And Dr. Crabb read over her um, her history, and she came in and she sat down and, and she basically said, "You know, so what? Are you, you know, you're the big dog. What are you going to tell me?" And Dr. Crabb said, "Well, I'm going to start with this. We will never get anywhere with you until you forgive your parents." And she kind of slumped over, and she started breathing hard. And she stood up and she screamed in his face and she took her chair and she threw it across the desk at him and walked out. Three weeks went by and she scheduled another appointment and Dr. Crabb looked at her and, and uh, she sat down and he said, I'm going to tell you the exact same thing I said last week, last time. We will never get anywhere with you until you're ready to forgive your parents. And she just slumped over and cried. She cried for an hour. She came back a few weeks later. And Dr. Crabb walked in and said, We will never get anywhere with you until you forgive your parents. And she got up and she walked around and she sat back down and she said, I know. And he said, Why? And she said, I have to forgive my parents because what I did to Jesus is worse than anything they did to me. When we look at this text, there's some interesting things about it, and I'm going to pull these out for you in just a moment. But the thing I want you to understand more than anything else is this. You're the the Lord of the universe... The, the maker of everything that is, the maker who hates harm, who hates uh, violence, who hates it so much that he says in Genesis chapter 6 that he was sorry that he made man on the earth and he, he wishes he had never made them. It, it, it pains him to his heart, he said. Uh, that Lord, not only did He tolerate us, which He did not have to do, but He actively sought after us and He loved us at such a great cost that while we were His enemies, He gave His own Son for us. And if you, if He is real to you, And if that in any level is is really hitting you as a real truth, not just a legend, not just a fable, not just a tradition, but if that's a real truth, then it will penetrate your heart. And as you are being made like Him, you too will find yourself loving your enemies and praying for those who hurt you. As we are made like Him, We love like Him. As we are made like Christ, we love like Christ. 
even to the point of loving our enemies. That's, that's the point for tonight. But the first thing I want you to see is this is impossible. Okay? Now, the whole Sermon on the Mount is impossible. And I think, uh, I think Jesus kind of taught the Sermon on the Mount with a gleam in his eye. You know, he's kind of like, I'm going to mess with these people, you know. And so he just continually starts raising the bar. And I, I think it would have been fun to have been in on the joke and kind of been sitting behind him and watching everybody else in the crowd. Because it's fun to watch people in the crowd. You always kind of know when you're stepping on nerves or whatever. And so, you know, he starts out saying, you know, you, you do not, I, heard, I said, you, you've heard it said, you know, do not uh, retaliate or whatever. But I said, you don't be angry. You said, you've heard it said, don't murder. But I said, don't even be angry. And you see, like, the guy with the bad temper going, oh. You know, and then he says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say to you, don't even lust in your heart. You know, and he just keeps getting, kind of raising the bar, raising the bar. And there's some self-righteous prig out there who's like, yeah, I've got all this. I've got it. And then he goes, and I mean, think of the most impossible thing out there. Love your Enemies. I mean, you just want to go, Jesus, I mean, just by the, the very word enemy kind of precludes this. Um, if I love them, he wouldn't be my enemy. See, that problem there? I mean, the, the sentence doesn't even make sense. You know, love your mother, that makes sense. Love your spouse, that makes sense. Love your enemy, that's not even, you know, we don't even have categories for it. He, he knows full well. He is setting the bar so high that nobody can jump over it. And if you don't get that, you don't get the point of the law of God at all. And you certainly don't get this. You see, it can't be faked. It can't be uh, added on. It can't be something that's like, oh, okay, I'll do that. You know, our, our mentality is that the, the law of God is like a recipe that we have to follow or the law of God is like a, an obstacle course. And if I can get through the obstacle course, then I'll get to heaven. Right? I'll be good enough. Like the God's law is like these standards for being in a country club or something. And well, if we make enough money and we know the right people, then we can get there. And, uh, and, and so, you know, we, we keep climbing all these walls. And when we find this one, it's like, it's completely, utterly impossible. Love. I mean, it's not, I'm not even being nice to your enemies. And I could do that. You know, fake your enemies out. Um, you know. But love them. I mean, love them. To, be, to have this internal desire for their good. And to love your enemy, the one who has hurt you, the one who has harmed you. In order for that to happen at all, there has to become such an, a radical change in you that, um, that you're completely different. Well, that was a terrible term. Let me think of a better word. You have to be completely reborn to have this happen. In order to love your enemy, what that would mean is, how does someone become your enemy? Someone becomes your enemy by getting, by harming you, or by getting in the way of something that you want, something that you desire by setting themselves up in opposition for you. And before, in order for you to love your enemy, it would require a complete change so that whatever he is between, say, 
my enemy comes in between me and, and my goal, it would require a complete change in me so that he's not in between me and my goal anymore. My goal's up here, and I want him to come with me. It's a radical change of heart that's going to change not only the way I see myself, but it's going to change what I see as my God, my ultimate purpose, and therefore it's going to change how I see everybody else. It would require a complete change. And that is hard. And if you're kind of in the, of the mindset of like, okay, I'm going to get serious about my Christianity now, and I'm going to learn the rules, and I'm going to follow them, and I'm, going to, I'm just going to keep these rules, it, I want you to know it's impossible. You can't do that. You cannot keep the Sermon on the Mount on your own power. I know that, and, and I want you to hit that. I don't, I don't want you to hit that emotionally. Because until you hit that emotionally, until you feel that can't, until you feel that inability, God's just not real to you because you don't really need Him. Until you feel Him asking you to do something that you can't do, He's just a new hobby. He's a new thing. He's aerobics. He's running. He's, uh, you know, some new thing you're doing to perfect yourself. But when you feel that, I remember where I was. I remember very bad uh, because it was a bad day. I was uh, in Cleveland, Mississippi. I was already not only was I already a Christian. I thought I think I was. We'll give myself give me the benefit of the doubt. Uh, I'd been in the ministry for a year or so, and not too long because I was in my first house in Cleveland. And uh, a friend of mine named John Stone had been preaching on forgiveness. And I listened to him preach the same sermon three times in God's providence. I was just always around him when he was preaching the sermon. He only had four sermons, and so uh, it wasn't that hard to hear him preach the same one. And um, and I went home, and, and my problem is this. I grew up, uh, I like most of you, I grew up. And I had a dad, of course, you have to have one of those. But mine wasn't very good, and he, he bailed out on us when I was in junior high, and he was extremely irresponsible, ran up a bunch of debts, and uh, left us all with them. And um, he's just kind of a jerk all around. So I, I had this very deep, bitter resentment of him. And I was confronted by this fact that I had to, if I was in Christ, if, the, if I really believed that God had forgiven me so much, then I had to love him, I had to forgive him. I didn't want to. But I started praying about it. I was like, well, I can at least pray about this. And so I, I prayed for a little while, saying, Lord, I, give me the grace to forgive my dad. Didn't want to do that. So I came back the next night. And this really was over a series of days. I was really pretty persistent. And I said, Lord, will you make me want to forgive my dad? And I just started thinking about all the power I was going to lose and all the self-righteousness I would lose if I forgave him. So I came back the next night and I said, Lord, I don't even want to want to forgive him. And I started to pray, Lord, make me want to want to forgive him. That just sounded stupid. And so I just started praying, show me, show me what's going on here. And I started crying. And I ended up praying, Lord, I don't want to forgive him. Even if that means I don't get to go to heaven. I said, Lord, 
If he ends up in heaven, I would rather be in hell. I didn't stay there. It's good. But the point is this. You see how real things became to me at that point? God's law stopped being kind of a nice little ethereal plan. It sure would be nice if I could eat less than 50 carbs a day. (laughs) I mean, God's law stopped being kind of good advice. And it started being this absolute standard that I was going to be judged by. And I was running up against my utter inability to keep it and my desire to keep it. And at that point, I started crying out for help and for the Holy Spirit. And that's what's going on here. As a matter of fact, there's a reason why this is the last kind of standard that Jesus gives us. And then he immediately begins teaching us on prayer and on the Holy Spirit in chapter 6, which Brent will be taking you through for the rest of the semester. But you've got to feel that. It's a reason why Jesus said you're enemies. He's assuming that you have them. And he knows that you can't do this. And he wants you to feel that inability so you'll call out to him for the Spirit. So you'll be ready to learn how to pray. So you'll be ready to learn how to be changed. So the first, my first thing I want you to see is that you can't do this. The second thing I want you to see is that God does. God has done it. And he really has. And that's, that's what we call the gospel, and y'all know that. And you know that, that God did not come into the world to save um, to rescue, to bless neutral people. And he didn't come into the world to, to, to bless and to be into a relationship with good people. But he deliberately chose people that were turned away from him, who were the opposite of him, who hated him. Uh, James tells us, you know, do not be fooled. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Because the world has always been the enemy of God. And yet, and, and this is what's so mind-blowing. I mean, it really is mind-blowing. you got to get this. God gave His Son. John, John 3.16, the first verse you all memorized, right? They all used, used to hold it up at uh, football games on little placards. John 3.16, God so loved the world. That is, that's crazy. And he so loved the world that he gave his only son. He loved people who hated him. That doesn't make sense. It's, it's, the, it's the scandal of our existence. Why does God even allow an evil world to exist? That's the question we all cry out at some point. At some point you do. I cried out once a week. Why does he let this... this evil, painful, dark world exist. And he goes infinitely beyond that. Not only does he allow it to exist, he gives his son for it to save it, to, to come into relationship with it. That, that's what he is, is in the interest of. And that's why it's, it's important for us to understand that you don't understand the gospel. There's no real, you know, There's no real good, cute story that illustrates the gospel. It's confusing. Um, I I used to think there was. I used to love them, man. I had all these great stories about, um, you know, this judge who uh, had, 
you know, had a criminal come in before him and he sees his own son there, you know, and so he pays the fine for his son. You know that story? You know it. Well, thank you. Somebody out here has been in a church camp before. What's the problem with that story? Well, the problem with that story is your son's not your enemy. Right? If I, I mean, my son wrecked a car Saturday and I'm paying for it. You know, shocker. (laughs) He's not my enemy. He's not the person in the world I hate. I mean, here's a graphic story for you. Here's a graphic depiction of the gospel. I don't really like this story. I don't think it's true. But supposedly in the days when uh, Jews were hiding from uh, the soldiers, the German Nazi soldiers, um, there's a story of, of... this family of Jews being uh, holed up in the wall of a, of a house, of a Gentile house. Uh, these Christians were hiding them. And as the soldiers were walking through the house looking for the Jews, uh, a baby started to cry. And the mother, out of terror that the soldiers were going to find them, put her hand over the baby's mouth and suffocated the baby to keep the baby from crying to save the life of all the other Jews who were hiding. Now, there's some similarities there between us and the the gospel, right? God giving his own son for us. But do you understand that the gospel is God giving his son for the Nazi soldiers, for the enemy, for the people who would kill him? That is the, the scandal of God's love, and it goes so far beyond... Anything you imagine. And that's why you've got to have these two things, these two pillars in place. And the first is, I have enemies and I can't keep God's law and I am God's enemy. Because we kind of think that we're good and we kind of earn God's love and we've earned his favor. We earn Jesus' death. That's what we earn. We're his enemy. He had to give his son for us. We cost him that. But he did. And that's what he's like. That's what he's like. And so whatever ugly, nasty, small, gross thing about me that it is that I'm so ashamed of that I don't want anybody to see, it's okay for me to show it to him. He knows it. He loves his enemies. He loves his enemies. He gives his son for them. And as we come to him, am I making that noise? Am I doing something wrong? To what are you going to turn off? Okay, you're turning off your mail. Oh, good heavens! So is your email popping up behind me? Okay, sorry. So as we see the the, the height of his of his demands of us and the depths of his love for us it, it brings us into this blender of those two between those two things and it begins to change us it begins to melt our hearts so that we find ourselves different and it, it it's weird it's not simply just kind of this this internal change where you kind of like yes i love you now it's it's a cold change of, of your posture so that you're looking in a new direction. And when I look at people that I'm very tempted to hate, what I see in them now is myself. 
I get them. Sometimes it's easy. You know, I did this with Miley Cyrus the other day in church. A lot of y'all heard that. Did y'all hear that? We all there for that? You want me to do the Miley Cyrus thing? Everybody hates Miley Cyrus, right? I mean, she's slutty and taking her clothes off. And it's bad because she was a child star. And so it's just kind of dirty and she's ruining things for our girls. And everybody's so mad at her and so self-righteous and pointing their fingers at her. But let me ask you this. Were you ever popular? Well, I wasn't either. But if you, have you ever had any friends at all? <laughs> Do you know the feeling of having, like, not being popular anymore? It's like a drug. I get it. I totally get her. I know what it's like to have people like you and then kind of forget about you. It sucks. And all she is doing is whatever it takes to get attention again. And I get that. I would do that. I've been in that position where I would say any joke. I would cross any line. I would do whatever it took to get a laugh. I've been there. I get her. And I'm not mad at her. I just want her to come to Jesus. I want her to to let Him cover her. I want her to live for His fame instead of living for the fame of all these people who are just going to forget about her again in six months. You see how you, you, you begin to change when, when your heart changes. And so you're living for this love of God, this, this love that God has shed abroad upon you becomes real to you. Then it changes your heart. And you don't see other people as standing in the way between you and something that you want anymore. You just see other people as people who are lost like you were. And you want them to get found. You want them to come with you. So yeah, my dad was an idiot. He still is. But he can't hurt me anymore. He can't hurt me because I, the, the love I've gotten from Jesus, the love I've gotten from, from God the Father is so pure and it's so real. And it's so real in my life that I don't miss the love I don't get from Him. He, he can't hurt me. The fame I get the attention I get, the intimacy I get from God is so real that I'm able to, to let go of whatever it was I didn't get from my dad. And I just want him to come this way. I want him to stop making foolish decisions and hurting himself. And you begin to see your enemies as lost and hurting people. It changes the way you see the world. It changes your... Uh, your temptations. But it only happens as God's grace becomes real to you. It only happens as God's love becomes real to you. There's a... There's a great story... uh, There's a great story that comes out of South Africa after the the years of uh, uh, just terrible, terrible sins of apartheid. And the, uh, when, um, I'm sorry, my brain's falling apart. When Mandela, when Nelson Mandela became president, he instituted what's called the Truth and Reconciliation Commissions. Have you heard about those? 
And uh, basically, he didn't want his nation to be ripped apart by people trying to get vengeance. And so he established these rules and these courts where if you would come and confess your sins, um, then uh, judges would uh, see that you paid for your sins in a way that wouldn't ultimately be destructive to everyone involved. And this policeman uh, came and he confessed. Uh, he confessed that he had come in the middle of the night with a gang of thugs and he had taken away a woman's son and her husband and he had beaten her uh, son uh, brutally and he had killed and burned her husband alive. And, um, and he asked for forgiveness. And the woman, the judge in the room asked the woman, the widow, said, I'll give you three wishes. What are they? Her son died from those wounds. And, and she stood up and she said, Sir, this man's taken everything I have. I'll tell you, she's taken everything I have. I have no one in my life. So the first thing I would like for you to do is I would like for you to command him to take me to the place where he burned my husband. I want to gather up what may possibly remain of his ashes and I want to give my husband a proper burial. She said, secondly, I want you to order this man to come to my house every Sunday afternoon for lunch because I'm still a young woman and I've got a lot of love to give and I've got nobody to give it to. And thirdly, I would like for you to order this man to come across the room right now and let me hug him so he'll believe that I've forgiven him. And as he did that, the entire courtroom began to sing Amazing Grace. As she let go of her right for vengeance and began to care about this man, see a lost broken, sad, pathetic man who needed Jesus just like she did. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, I pray that you would uh, give us eyes to see ourselves, see how deeply stained we are by our sin, uh, see how much uh, we need you, see how unwilling and uh, it's unwilling we are to even keep your laws. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to show us how much you've loved us, how your love for us goes deeper than we would have ever hoped, imagined, or even dared to ask. And Lord, I pray that you'd make that real. I know it's a process. I know for most of us, that's, we're, we're a million miles away from loving our enemies. I know that. But I pray that you will... Um, Move us one step closer today. Move, move us one step closer to your love being real enough that we can stand secure against whatever anyone wants to do to us. See them for who they are and pray for them that they might find you. Father, would you move us in that direction and make us more like Jesus? We pray in his name. Amen.